Welcome to Talk That Talk. We have the unfiltered, unscripted, uncomfortable conversations about band, HBCU band culture, music, education, and more. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and also find us on all social media networks at Real Talk That Talk. And now, let's start the show. All right. So uh, let's go ahead. Well, first of all, first of all, I know that we had a, or at least I had a private conversation uh, on on my own live about uh, the National Battle of the Bands, and we got a lot of feedback from myself and also from Rick. Uh, Mario, I wanted to know, man, did you did you catch any of that uh, that that great action from the National Battle of the Bands at all? Man, I did. I caught some uh, some uh, some fuzzy live streams, and then I got the uh, the the 4K videos and some uh, some from different band programs. So I was able to catch everybody's show, man, and it was. Um, to be honest, I just was impressed with the fact that all these bands could really make this happen in such a short time um, and come out and do such a good job. Usually you have a battle like that and you, you're you looking at, oh, this band was like not that good. This band wasn't that good. I can honestly say that um, everybody had a good showing, you know, some better than others. But I definitely think everybody had a good showing for sure. Dope, dope. All right, real quick, uh, before we get back to that, I want to welcome in the guest panelists, uh, my man, Quan. Man, that dude ain't no guest panelist. He here so much. <laughs> <laughs> How y'all doing today? What's good? Chilling, chilling. I'm sorry. All right, so Mario, just real quick, getting back to uh, the National Battle of the Bands, man. Who do you feel like your top three were? Oh, I heard you. I, heard, I was thinking about this all day, man. Um, <clears throat> I have like a tie at the top. I can't give a, I can't, my, it's like a 1A, 1B for me. Um, I like Southern Show um, as my 1A, um, and just because of the, the power aspect of it. Um, I liked North Carolina and T Show for 1B, and then I like Norfolk for 2, and then 3, um, man, that was kind of tough. I'd probably say Langston because I was just really imp- impressed with just just their whole um, kind of the coming out party. They've been coming out the last couple of years, man, to keep getting better and better and better. And um, they ain't the new kids on the block no more. They're definitely doing their thing. So I'm really proud of that program for sure. Absolutely. But yeah, man, Southern's power is hard to it's hard to look past that. Even though you know you're looking at all the other aspects of music and band, I thought the TikTok thing that they did was real dope. Um, you know, and and Southern brings so much consistency. Um, I wasn't crazy about the slow song arrangement, but I like how they played it. Even though I wasn't crazy about the actual arrangement itself, but I thought they played it well. And then Norfolk, you know, what I mean, I think that they had a really just consistent show. For the numbers that they had out there, um, as far as brass, I mean, the band numbers are large, but the actual players on brass instruments, which is producing the most sound across the field, I think they, you know, was consistent, man. It was a lot of consistency. So, yeah, that's what I, that's what I was digging. Okay. Dope, dope, dope. All right. So, before we get this show started, I want to make sure that I do all my 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 due diligence and the things that uh, I always <clears throat> I'm going to do, and I'm always going to pr- promote. Uh, either businesses or your program. So right now, the one thing that I want to make sure that I talk about is Willow Ridge High School, uh, my high school. Uh, Miss Sybil James, the band director, she wants to, she has a pop-up store. And I'm just going to actually read from exactly what she has. The Willow Ridge Mighty Eagle Band and Color Guard are asking for your support and the Double Good Popcorn for uh, Fundraiser. All proceeds will go towards the band activity account to cover any expenses not covered by the district fine arts budget, such as transportation, supplies, and band fees for students who may be struggling financially. So, guys, if you're out there listening and you really want to support a band program and help a band uh, program out, 
then make sure you send your support to uh, Willow Ridge High School, Miss Sybil James, the head band director. Uh, I'm going to make sure that I leave all that information down in the subscription so that you can uh, support as much as you possibly can. All right. We ready to get this started? Yeah. All right. <laughs> so I'm going to start it right off from the top. Uh, and I want to talk about something right here in the great state of Texas that is called UIL. Um, and so, you know, uh, I know that uh, I'm from Texas. Quan's uh, been here for a second. Um, and Rick, you, you've been down here for a while. And I know that Mario, you're in you're in Jersey, so I want to kind of give a little bit of history. Uh, the UIL was originated originally created by the University of Texas in Austin in 1910, and it was as two different entities. It started it started out as like a debating league uh, for Texas high schools, but now it's really basically the governing body over athletic competitions and music education in the state of Texas. Um, but as of right now, what it's what it's what we're going to primarily focus on is how it is dictated and ran uh, for music and education, the band world, the choir world, so on and so forth. And so that is and, and I know a lot of other states call it festival. Uh, so that is the governing body where we have our festivals, our solo and ensembles, our concert and sight reading. Um, and it's really in a lot of diff a lot of districts a requirement, uh, especially for your uh, your teaching position uh, or your stipend at the university or excuse me, at the uh, program that you are teaching at. So uh, I'm actually going to throw this one to Rick first uh, because uh, you have a little bit more of experience in this one. Uh, so the first question is, is UIL ruining inner city band programs? Is in, is it ruining inner city band programs? So I'm gonna I'm gonna answer this um, from a couple of different perspectives because I'm actually working on something right now that directly addresses this question. So to answer your question, the answer is no. UIL the entity is not ruining um, these inner city bands, but UIL doesn't accept show bands as being a legitimate form of the marching arts that gets the same adjudication that everything else does. So, for instance, when these inner city bands, if we want to call it, I'll just say show style bands because all show style bands aren't in the inner city. So when show style bands go and participate in UIL, they usually design a show that is completely different than what they would do on a normal basis to get credit so they could get sweepstakes. And me, I think it's, I think it's one of those things where I like to see bands that can adapt to both styles, but I don't feel like if a band is playing well, like if they're playing with great timbre, great articulation, all the fundamentals of music that we expect, I don't feel like a band should have to change its identity, but I don't think that UIL said you have to change your identity. I think UIL says this is the way we do it. And show style bands say, okay, that's fine when I do that, you know, and it's usually, okay, we're not going to play as loud as we do. You know, the whole Texas band thing, 
where everybody plays mezzo forte and woodwinds playing all these fast runs. And I'm just sitting there like snooze fast. But anyway, um, like you have these bands that change their identity to fit in with what other bands are doing. So from the standpoint of is it UIL that's ruining these programs? No. What's ruining these programs is bad teaching from bad band directors. That's what's ruining these programs. So that's the first thing. The other part of that is you had a, a group of, of band directors that want to see their programs do well, that are tired of having to do, you know, feel like they have to fit into a box to, you know, get the credit that they deserve. So one thing I'm working on right now uh, with a good friend of mine who's a band director in uh, San Antonio area named Eric Prince, and I just hit him up to try to get him on with us tonight. But um, Eric, uh, he's on the staff of the Blue Devils Drum and Bugle Corps, and the Blue Devils just partnered with U.S. Bands, which is one of the biggest um band competition organizations in the country. So they have the West Coast side with Blue Devils and then they have the East Coast side with the cadets. And they just partnered with each other to form like this national nationwide network. And one of the things that we're working on with that organization is called um, US, US Band Show Style. So basically we're gonna have marching band competitions with the same type of adjudication uh, the same type of expectation of excellence, the same type of um, thing that you would equate to a UIL competition, except the bands don't have to change their their styles to fit into this competition. It can be exactly who they are. They just have to play well. And I think that's the thing that goes out the window is people assume that every band just goes out there and blows their face off. It, they don't. Like I, one band that comes to mind, and I, I'm sure all y'all have heard of them before, and that's Minor High School in Alabama. Like Minor High School is one of the best sounding high school bands I've heard. And they are a show style band. Uh, Mr. Crumb has those people playing amazing. So same concept, except our style of band doesn't have to change who they are just to uh, get, you know, what's considered to be a good band or the credit that they deserve. So. And uh, before you go, I want to I want to actually ask a question about that, because what I what I heard and I and correct me if I'm wrong, what, what I what I heard was you say that U.S. USA bands is really creating a different lane or an alternative uh, to basically be who you are and to be. So to even put it on a on a different scale. And, and, and I think, you know, this and I think, Quan, you know, this and Mario, you're going to be new to this. So. When we talk about the marching arts, um, in most cases, UIL, the requirement is they want you to be core style, but they created a, a lane at the state level for um, military. So they were able to do that, but they weren't able to create a lane for a show style or a traditional style program. So if I'm a kid, and 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 this is just I all hypothetics. It's, I, if I'm a kid in the inner city, and I I am comfortable with doing show style, but my district says that we have to do UIL, then how how do I how do you expect me as a student or even a director to feel comfortable transitioning to that without feeling like I am you know 
looked at as the 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 negative or the target or oh well you just can't do it. Well, I don't think it's that. I I don't. I really don't. And Quan, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Being a you know a band director in Houston, but me personally, I don't feel like it's that. I think that these school districts have made a decision, a conscious decision. And I, we don't have people aren't going to like what I'm about to say, but I, it's the truth because I've experienced it uh, being a professor in Texas of music at a university. These school districts have made a decision that because of the approach to playing, the approach to innovation in their eyes, core style is better than show style. They've right. made that decision. And so they're saying whether you are at a Coruscant school or not. This is the better of the two. This is what we're going to give credit to. So you either going to adapt to this or you're not. Because those military bands that you're talking about, that is just from a drill perspective. They're still playing marches. They're still playing, you know, music that fits on into a marching band. They're not out there playing Sweet Love as the ballad or Earth, Wind & Fire, which I'm, you know, which is usually what a lot of bands choose when they go to these UIL performances. So what I, you know, what I started doing, I worked with a couple of schools, uh, one in particular, Townview High School in Dallas. Um, I wrote their UIL show a couple of years ago and they got sweepstakes. You know, like that band is a good band. Uh, shout out to Carlisa. Um, shout out to Mr. Hill enjoying his retirement right now. But um, Carlisa. Shout out to who? Mr. Hill. And- good, Mark. <laughs> Carlisa Washington, <laughs> uh, the band director now at uh, Townview. But, you know, they are having to play the game that's been put in front of them. And it's sad and I hate it. But the fact of the matter is, if you want to keep your job in Texas and be considered a sweepstakes band, you're going to have to meet the requirements that these people that usually don't look like us put in place. Okay. Uh, Quan? Is UIL ruining inner city band programs? No, uh, not per se, not per se. Um, I think personally, uh, from my experience, even right now, what's ruining inner city uh, band programs is the infrastructure of these districts inside, specifically for these either urban, what's classified as urban schools or low socioeconomic schools that's what's ruining overall and what i mean by that at the particular school that i'm that i'm teaching at right now uh i'm i was the seventh band director in four years when it comes to a feeder program my feeder program is basically obsolete the middle school director was only he was only there one year prior to me being here bruh it's we have a history, a notorious history of a revolving door of not having quali- highly qualified teachers in these positions, and they teach on a probationary certificate one to two years. That's what's ruining, honestly, inner city and urban schools. Now, that's just the cake. Now, what's the icing is UIL. I don't believe they are culturally fair to uh to traditional or quote unquote show style schools. Um, but I do want to say this this small thing that 
for the last few years, we've seen strides such as, uh, I don't know her name, I met her one time, but the band director at Sunset High School, I believe they're in Dallas. Outstanding show, outstanding band director, and they, I believe they received sweepstakes as well. Um, Brother Rick, he already spoke about Townview, and I believe Rory, if I'm not mistaken, in Austin, he's received ones at UIL. Um, and I, and I, before you keep going, I, I do want to put this out here. I did see, so like it was this random thing that just randomly happened here in Texas, and 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 I don't want to just call it random, but I just kind of saw it when there were a lot of inner city schools who were complaining about these types of situations, and then that same year, all of a sudden, there were a lot more sweepstakes, there were a lot more ones that happened, and I don't, and, and in my mind, and then like right after that, it was like a COVID year, so we really didn't get a chance to really experience anything. But in my mind, I was thinking to myself, was that a fluke? Were they just trying to throw us a bone? Or, you know, I don't know. So when you bring that up, it just, it just, that just came to my attention. But go ahead. Yeah. Go, go ahead, Rick. You muted. You muted, big homie. I was saying, man, I'm, and I'm going to get out your way. I was just saying, mm -hmm. I know Dr. Zachary from uh, PV was one of the main people leading that conversation because he was, <laughs> when I was at PV, he was having that conversation. Like, this don't make no sense. You know, like people will graduate from the university and when they go to apply for for uh, jobs in different districts, you know, uh, city of Houston is a prime example. When you go to apply for a job in the district, people won't even consider your application if they see you went to an HBCU. And that's Absolutely bull, right. man. You know Absolutely what I'm saying? Right. Like. So go ahead, Quan. Go ahead, bro. Oh, no, 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 no. You, you're, you're absolutely right. And and it's a, it's an unfortunate dichotomy because to a degree, we have to hold ourselves accountable yep. to ensuring that we are pushing out adequate, highly qualified teachers. Yep. Now, I'm going to be transparent on this testimony. When I graduated from uh, Prairie View, I wasn't fully certified, had a family. I was like, I got to get in this charter school. I got to do what I have to do. And I felt this weight on my shoulder of, or you got to get certified. Like you, you can't get a seat at the table until you get that, you know, that certificate. And once I got it, then I saw the politics at the table. So it's like, I don't believe to answer your question overall. I don't think that UIL is ruining it, but the infrastructure of urban schools is killing it. The adjudicators, some of them are clueless. Let's just be honest. They are just clueless of even what they're seeing. But at the same time, to hold ourselves accountable, a good sound is a good sound. Mm -hmm. I don't care if it's core. I don't care if it's traditional. It's a good sound. Now, you know, different styles, one may be more aggressive than the other, but a good sound is a good sound. So and then on the back end, you got directors that honestly graduate from these historical black colleges and universities. And the only thing they want to do is emulate the same thing that they saw because that's all they know. We've been having this conversation last three podcasts. Maybe that's all they know. So I don't think it's ruining it. But to, uh, and I do want to say this statement. Rick said uh, that sometimes in the state of Texas, they feel like core style is better. I don't I don't absolutely don't believe core style is better, but I think core style is consistent. And that's what they know. And then the adjudicators, they're looking at it from the perspective of this is this is something that's consistent. But I even I've seen over the past few years, a lot of the old school directors being subjective to the pageantry of core 
because they want that old school. Um, what's the? Uh, they were all uh, Madison Scout type show instead of the Music City with the with the props and like. So it's really subjective. Okay. All right. So Mario, you the you the you the non Texas person on on, <laughs> on the panel, but um, just hearing what you heard. Um, the first question, I guess, I mean, and, and we're still going to get to that question. Do you guys have a governing body like that in Jersey? <laughs> man, all I can do is laugh is, is this stuff, man. And, and, and laugh in a, almost a sarcastic way because let me not get on the uh, soapbox here too much. But let me just say this piece. Um, people care what you're doing in Texas. They don't even really care what we do here. I haven't had a curriculum in my 11 years here that we actually follow. I want you to think about that for a second. Like, and that's in Newark. So the students that I produce out of my program, that's literally just me, like getting them together and getting them prepared for the next level. Um, they have the New Jersey Band, uh, Marching Band Directors Association here. That's all core style. Um, the New Jersey Association of Jazz Education that used to be it's like 97% you know um, affluent neighborhoods and, and suburban schools um, any of the concert band competitions we don't even get an email about it I don't even get emails about it and I've had pretty good bands since I've been here and I didn't even know this stuff existed in the state I used to always say like because I'm from Detroit so we had MSBOA. We would go do solo and ensemble competitions and our bands would go and compete. And, you know, like I'm a guy didn't hear no, nothing, nobody, not my music supervisor, nobody. We've had um, three music supervisors since I've been in the district. Um, it's been a lot of stuff. So I, to hear what you guys are saying about this, I'm just like, man, it must be nice for somebody to care. But in another part of that, though, is that I can totally understand your plight because it sounds like um, what I'm hearing, yes, HBCU should prepare us better when it comes to being um, diverse in the aspect of, of marching arts and being able to teach both aspects. However, are they doing that at predominantly white schools? Are they teaching high step there? Why do we have to constantly code switch to fit something else? That's not that's not okay. And I don't think that we we I feel like our community is always like would like when we. I think about it like this. Now, I know why. By the way, I teach in Newark and I live in Newark. So let me just get that out the way. And I'm from Detroit. So I have been in urban environments my entire life. But people get money and make it and they got to move to something else because they feel like sometimes assimilation to other cultures is making it. And that happens in every part of our lives. Every part of our lives. It happens in music. It happens in education. Other parts of education. It happens in everything. So when we feel like we've... Uh, like even think about how many actors don't feel like they have a, accomplished something unless they get they get the Oscar. It tells them that you've now been accepted into this this predominantly white brotherhood. And so what I'm saying is, I am not saying that we shouldn't teach both sides of the coin, but I am saying that we are trying to act like we need to constantly be trying to follow and chase after something else when. US band, USA bands, because they adjudicated our competition that we did. Uh, we won first place in the St. Patrick's Day Parade. And they came and adjudicated it. But when when they come, let's just continue working towards pushing towards 
um, having another aspect of how they adjudicate. It's not that difficult. People have been having high step competitions forever in our in our worlds. Like we used to have a competition at Norfolk every year. So so many colleges and high schools do it all the time. Um, Norfolk State, and I mean not just to boast them up, but like Norfolk State is an example of a band that can play strong but still sound really good while doing it. So it's not this this idea where you can you just gotta sound like absolute crap. Some bands sound like crap because they have bad practices and, and bad understanding of what a proper sound is supposed to be. That has nothing to do with the overall culture of the band program. You know what I mean? You could take Bethune Cookman to anybody's competition and that's gonna sound good. I don't care where you put them, that's gonna sound good. So they get deducted because they're high step marching. That's ridiculous to me. So I just feel like to answer that question, I can't specifically speak on Texas, but I don't think, I think just like Rick and Quan said, like, I don't think they're, that's ruining your brand programs. I think if anything, there needs to be a conversation about what this actually, how this fits and how it's culturally appropriate for all different people involved. We're culture. We're trying to do things that are cultural um, culturally accepted in every part of our lives, but this is like the big one that we don't really deal with. Music education is one that is completely left off the table. You would never think about turning, taking a, a predominantly white school and taking their music program and throwing it out the door, but they continue to do it in urban environments. Quan was talking about a revolving door of schools. Of I don't even have a feeder. And if I had a feeder, I couldn't even get the kid in my school. Then when I get the kid in my school, I can't get them in my class. Like, it's just, it's ridiculous. So, and, and, I, and then I've had the experience in the same state, and this is the last point here, I've gone to other schools very close to me and their band directors have none of the problems that I have, none of the problems. And they're less than 20 miles away. And so what I'm saying, it has nothing to do with your state. It has to do with the culture of who appreciates music and how they're going to support it properly. That comes from the top down, from superintendents, down to music supervisors, down to principals, down to administrators, then the teacher. That has to be something that leads down because if you have an ex you have a standard up top, you won't just hire random people to be filling up positions. You'll hire people that have a certain level of competency, like you do with English and math and science. So that's just my, that's kind of like my teaching for me. So, so can, you, you mind if I add something to that, Julian? Talk, man. Yeah, yeah so... So what I realized, though, in the state of Texas, when it comes to the to the urban schools, even if just say it was it wasn't ideal a situation, but you did have an administrator that was supporting it. Many of the some of some of the directors and, I, and this is the aspect of holding yourself accountable. Many of the directors just don't go. And like Julian has been saying, maybe they really are scared to truly be adjudicated because it's a difference between the crowd's acceptance from alumni and then right. that person that understands well you didn't hit that spot really on five or eight to five at that specific count or nah that turn wasn't so good or, or that intonation had his issue because well, i'm pretty sure uh we're going to speak about him throughout the the history of this podcast show i feel like i'm i have like 30 percent of me is like willow ridge i do because i'm married to it and so you cannot speak about Texas bands and not speak about Ronald B. Thornton, peace be unto him. And I say that is because this, this is a black man that has been accepted in every aspect of bands. He's a band master. He's five mu alpha. Like he's uh, what is the Texas band master? 
all of the above. And he did it and he did it his own way. So he did hybrid uh, shows even before A&T wasn't, you know, wasn't even thinking about it. And the crazy thing about it is this man is revered on every aspect from jazz, from concert. So that goes back to, are we lazy? Because you can't you can't complain about the food if you're not willing to go in the cafeteria and tell the people that it's wrong. So I mean, in my opinion, if there's enough HBCU directors that build their programs and say, hey, we're going to go to UIL and we're going to not quote unquote play the game, but look at this rubric and dissect my show to ensure that we're going to do what's right. And then once they become adjudicators, be like, no, you need to look at it like this and do this to honestly educate the, the 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 adjudicators that have no clue what they're looking at, then that's the only way it's going to be able to change because UIL isn't going anywhere. Well, um, yeah, I I definitely agree on that. Uh, and and just to go back on two things, just one uh, talking about Mr. Thornton and just kind of understanding where he was and and how the level of of studying that he did, like when he got into um, Fort Bend ISD and he started working at Willow Ridge High School and really needed to understand the core style aspect and what to do. He asked a lot of questions and, and was not afraid to ask those questions and learn from people and get all the information that he needed um, just as a product of the program. We we knew that coming in, we were going to work hard because we were going to learn a core style show and we were going to learn like maybe three, you know, traditional or show style shows throughout the year. That just it, it was what it was. But the level of work that he actually put in to do that, I absolutely agree with you, Quan. Sometimes we got to ask the question, or are you willing to put in the work? Uh, but the second thing is you guys keep bringing up adjudicators. Um, and so I, I know personally I've sat and I've had a conversation with somebody from UIL. And when I asked about adjudicators that were competent and who understood the culture and who understood this and that and the third, one of the things that he brought up was, well, in order to be an adjudicator, you have to win a specific amount of sweepstakes, not just ones. You have to win a specific amount of sweepstakes to even be in the conversation to be an adjudicator. And so when we start looking at what we do, as the culture, if we have been denied that access from from the score sheet, even let's just say if somebody went in there and they did sound good, but you have a group of adjudicators who doesn't who don't understand the culture in the first place and they're going to give you a one, one, two and they're not going to give you a sweepstakes, then you've been denied access from the adjudication process in the first place. So I think that I think that there are still a lot of, you know, stumbling blocks that we still need to get through get through um, as it as it comes to the adjudication process. Uh, but, yeah, I just wanted to go ahead and, and put that that thought out there uh, before we close this out. Uh, Rick, you got any final thoughts? You muted. Bro. I'm you, bro. I think that Mario hit it on the head, bro. And it's something he said that really stuck with me. And that's. These predominantly white institutions are not teaching their kids, well, we got to get you ready. So when you get out of here, you maybe get a job at Prairie View or at UT. But, do you, right. but do you think that's because mm -hmm. they already know that they are welcome into certain spaces? No, they, they I don't, don't think that's to, it at all. I they don't, don't have to worry that. about going into certain spaces. No. They don't have to worry about that underfunded school that they're going to where it's a bunch no. of whole bunch of black kids and those kids don't have these parents and blah, blah, blah. It, like, 
do you think it's because of that reason? No, They'll change it themselves. No, I don't. Not even that because they're like look, uh, the you know, a couple of those districts in Dallas. You know, Duncanville in particular. You know, they got band directors working at schools that service kids that don't look like them. You have a majority black and Hispanic school district. All the band directors are almost white. You know, so it's not that. I think that these people, they have they have been trained that when they go into a school, and Quan kind of touched on it, I'm their colleges man. tell them how to do it. Their colleges say, you're going to teach this man like, like you of age. You're only going to play, you know, a certain way. And you're not going to take the chances. A lot. That's a, one thing that HBCU band programs do. We we are willing to do things that we're not comfortable with. With Southern playing uh, the uh, Rocky music, or you know, playing things that you wouldn't expect them to play. Playing um, Daft Punk a couple of years ago. Like they, these schools will take risks to do something different. These schools don't train them that. And I think it is partially what you said, Julie. Those kids don't, when they graduate from college, it is absolutely expected that they're not going to one of these schools that we're talking about. They That is not even on their radar. So, And if they are, they're not staying long. Yeah, they just getting that. They're not get staying there, long. Right, right, get right. So I can get to the next spot. You know, I have one more band that pops into my head that's in a predominantly black area, but it's excellent, is DeSoto up in Dallas. DeSoto High School's win ensemble. Man, I heard them my second year of Prairie View. They blew me out the room, man. They were so good. And this is a predominant um, black school. Now, their band director, Mr. Brown, is uh, African-American. and But he didn't go to uh, um, uh, uh, HBCU, and that's another conversation we probably need to have. When you have people that look like us that don't go to HBCU, and their expectation becomes what their school taught them that their expectations should be. And then they go sometimes to these HBCU bands and are successful. So I, I, I don't think it's that. I think that, like I said earlier, it is the expectation of the director. Quan hit it right on the head. We shouldn't have to change who we are. But on the other hand, we have to play with quality. We can't go out there and just blow the walls down. We have to think. We have to actually put a show together that makes sense because general effect is a part of the judging sheet. Like we have to train our people it's just like being black in America. There's conversations we have with our kids that other races don't have to have with their kids. And we need to start having the talk with our music students. When you go out and apply for this job and you go, you're going to UIL. Don't make it an option. Carry your tail to UIL, get judged, and make your band better. And then look at the sheets and design your show to the sheets, not to, oh, this sounds like a core style song, so I'm going to play it. So I, I think it's a lot of facets to this question, man. Like we are already 37 minutes into the show and there's so much more we could discuss about this. So I think we move on, man, because we, we don't think we're going to get the answer tonight. <laughs> we, we were going to move on anyway because <laughs> it was your final thought. Yeah. All right. All right. So uh, anyway, if you're just tuning in, welcome everybody to Talk That Talk. Uh, we have the unfiltered, unscripted live conversations about band music education hbcu uh band and more all right please make you make sure that you like and subscribe and continue to keep tuning in all right so we ready for this next topic let's do it all right so we're still kind of on this thing of uil 
one of the things about UIL that I think is very interesting that I've had a couple of conversations uh, with people about was the fact that UIL and UIL scores are so easily accessible. And so the next question should is going to be, should UIL scores be easily accessible? Should UIL scores be so easily accessible? Quan. That's a tough question for me. Um, yes, because, you know, when you go, I mean, I've experienced this myself. When, uh, when you go apply for a job, whatever that fine arts director for that campus is, his laptop is open. He, he's going to the music forums. Uh, the Texas forms to see what you have. And, but again, like, like I say, they don't ask the question just hypothetically speaking, if that person had a low score, what happened that year? You automatically see a three. Oh, no, nah, we don't even want you. So from that aspect, no, but it should brings about a conversation of accountability for that person of why, so, I mean, that's, that's really, a, really a tough, tough question for me because there's so many facets, so many facets to it. But I I, I don't know. Okay. Uh, Rick, should UIL scores be so easily accessible? Yes. <laughs> and here's why. And this is the part we haven't said yet, but I think all y'all are going to agree with me. UIL scores are often used to quantify the, in some people's eyes, the the uh, value of show style bands. But let's not sit up here and act like there's not a plethora of trash core style bands in this country. Like we sit up here, they want to vilify our people. They want to vilify our programs. Oh, that's not what I want to hear. In the great state of Texas, in all these school districts that we're talking about, for the every for every the Woodlands, there's ten bands that ain't the Woodlands. It's the Trashlands. So let's I mean let's be real here. These bands are not all great. Core style does not mean better. So the same way they use those scores to vilify our people, use the scores against them. The problem is, even with those type of bands, like Quan said, those bands won't even show up. They were like, man, shoot, I'm not about to go there and, and get a three. I know I'm going to get a three. And then you have the district that forces all their band directors to go to uh, to UIL. But that's yeah. the reason why the, the that's the reason why I'm, I'm that's one of the reasons why I'm asking the question. Right. Because right. there are so many districts that in your contract, you have to go to UIL. What if I'm a band director who's well aware whether I'm competent or not, but I'm well aware that what I have, the product that I have, is not going to be presentable. And then I decide one day that I want to get up and 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 move around and go somewhere else. And then and then a and then a fine arts director pulls out my UIL scores. And going back to what Quan said, they're not going to ask the question. They're just going to say, "Well, you got a three. You're incompetent. So I'm I'm good. I don't need you." Well, I can only speak from my own experiences. Gotcha. I taught, you know, I taught at. Um, the, the middle school that I went to. Um, that was my first job as a head director. I was assistant director at a high school before that. 
my first job was at a middle school as a um, the head director of bands at the middle school that I went to. Inner city community, everybody in my school, I think we were 88% free lunch. Like, like majority of the school was just very, very socioeconomically disadvantaged. And I was getting ones at festival. I was taking my kids on the road, doing all these. But I also dealt situations where I knew, like you said, June, I knew my kids weren't ready. And the levels in charge of music for the city used to throw this citywide um, festival because none of the bands in the city were going to um, to the state uh sponsored uh uil performance because none of the bands in the city were playing on level or playing good enough so then she started throwing this 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 whatever it was called festival in the like begin towards the beginning of the year when nobody's ready just to um never mind i ain't gonna get into that but it's a lot of it's a lot of situations that happen man where people are able to be successful even if you know they are in under advantaged or dis you know underserved communities but then you also have the other side so i think to answer the question no i think they should be accessible i think everybody should be able to see you know like kwan said yeah you aren't able to give the explanation but you know the fact that the matter is that's what's happening and that's how people are being hired you know also just let me just add julian also if you're an assistant band director and just say that head band director went and y'all went as a team and that head band director has been doing well, you're just attached to those yeah. scores as well. But that doesn't mean <laughs> that you're competent. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, Mario? Uh, I just I actually want to ask a question to this because um, I don't feel um, – I don't want to. I'm not. I'm not one of those people who just want to just like say an opinion on something I don't really connect to as much. But I'll ask a question. This is this is kind of a thing that I was thinking about as you guys were talking about this. Um, a lot of band directors I know, especially in the urban environments, are oftentimes um, not equipped with all of the right um, tools and resources to be successful as they should be. So a lot of times I think that uh, we, whether you're talking about UIL or different state um, kind of mandated. Um, festivals, whether it's concert band or marching band or whatever it is. My belief is that when a person is hired, um, obviously you shouldn't, you're just like, a, that's like saying, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be hired just based on my like scores from some competition. Cause there's so many elements that are in place there that could have gone wrong. I, I was going to say this, I'm, I'm sure I know the answer to this, but if you work in uh if you're getting hired somewhere, is it, optional in the first year or you have to participate in the first year um that's in most cases either up to the finance director or the principal's discretion uh, okay yeah so like you can get hired in the first year and they'd be like you still going or you can get hired in the first year and they'd be like well we'll give you you know some grace so that's really up to that to the discretion of those people yeah i think i think this you get a um marching band program whether it's high school or college most most people aren't expected for that program to be the best of the best in their first year because they're having a there's a, a band director adjustment the kids either came from a poor band director or a really great one and either one is going to offer its difficulty so i think that first year of preparation allows you to at least get a chance to get to know your your kids i, I would say just like they get provisionals for one and two years 
you should give like a, a give a give a director a couple years to get their program set to allow them to at least have two kids uh, like so a, a set of upperclassmen that has their you know understanding of teaching style and stuff like that because I think that's a very unfair type of situation to be totally judged on something that you you come into a situation that doesn't that has nothing set and you're just thrown into the fire like it is like well I didn't have the resources to be able to be successful in this place because like Quan was talking about earlier if you have a situation where if you're expected to participate but you don't have a feeder you don't have kids coming in that can play now I have to teach all these things plus have a, a, a competition that may decide my my certification or my ability to you know be shown that I can do this job well I think it's kind of unfair but I mean obviously that's why you're talking about it because it seems unfair so that's kind of like my out, outside or out of state kind of perspective perspective of that and there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with that we yeah let's use the outside perspective right all right cool cool all right um Quan, any final thoughts in order to create your own table or a better table we have to first see what's fallible at the previous table and i think when it comes to uh urban school teachers and and uh, music educators that are willing to honestly truly build and that's a whole nother conversation you have a lot of people that honestly bottom line they just don't want to build it's going to cost you to build you know it's going to cost you it's going to cost some cause you your ego because you're going to have to humble yourself is certain things that you're just not going to know and the things that we face on a daily basis teaching uh teaching students you know from a, a poverty background you have the, the the good the bad and the ugly every kid you know that comes from the hood is not a bad kid uh and every kid that that honestly goes to a maybe title one two or three school is not poor but the reality of it is it's so much that you have to go through that that you have to be father counselor you know the, the cafeteria person, all of those things and build the band. So, but if, if we want to get that seat at the table so where our voice is truly heard so that we can educate people in this day and time, honestly, we're going to have to begin building programs and then taking them to UIL and then say, hey, this is warm with UIL so that we can honestly fix it. Okay. Now, I'm going to actually follow what we got going here. Uh, because something popped in my head as we all were, were giving our comments and our thoughts. So let me ask you guys this question. What dictates a successful program or teacher? What dictates a successful program or a teacher? Is it how great the band program is? Is it how many people you graduate or, you know, so what dictates a successful program or teacher, uh, Mario. Yeah, I think I think I think it's actually a combination of all those things. I think you can't you can have one without the other. I mean, you know, you can say I'm a great leader and great motivator, but then your kids are like like not graduating high school. It's like that doesn't something's not adding up. So, and then you can say I'm I'm good at um, um, you know, building community, but the kids can't play anything. So it's like there's it's got to be some trade off. So if I'm gonna consider myself a a good now if it says a good teacher that's different than saying a good band director so if i'm if i'm saying i'm a good band director then <clears throat> my kids should be able to play at a um there should be a significant difference between where they came in and where they leave out 
wherever that start and stop, wherever that start and end that line is. So, because everybody's different. So, you make kids have kids come in reading grade three or four music. So, if you can get them and progress them to um, five and six, you know, level music, then that's outstanding. Or if you can get them to really play it and sight read at that level and to and, and, and be, uh, be able to refine the music at that level, I think that's awesome as well. So, it just depends on um, that aspect. Another piece of this, I think, is. Um, being able to have good classroom management, be, being able to, to 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 properly run your program and all the facets of your program, I think those are all important things. Like I said, everything together is really creating the, the success of a band director. How your students do on the next level, if they are music students that spent four years with you, um, is a reflection of what you do, but it's not a total reflection because some people just act a fool when they go to the next level. If they have the skills, that's different then like if you have the skills and you decide to be a knucklehead that's different than you know saying somebody actually not having the skills so i'm like if you got the skills and you just decide not to do x y and z um you know because i have kids for example i have kids that operated well with me and that listened to the things that i was t teaching them and talking to them about and would not operate at all with their vendor their school teachers they wanted only to deal with me because they felt like it was somebody that they could respect that talk to them with respect and that could hear them and listen to them. So they wanted to only operate with me. Now, if that person would have went to college and the college band director, they're not going to get that one-on-one -on -one individual attention because I teach in such an inner city environment. The rules are different. The rules are different. We're not dealing with 200, 150, even a hundred, even 75, even 50. We're not dealing with 50 piece bands up here in New Jersey. We're talking about inner city programs of like, you get like, you know, like, you know, Four for four bands. I mean, you may you get, you know, like I got made three of this, four of that. I mean, that's about all you get. Like, and that's just how it goes. The good bands, you have spaces. So you'll have a good rise in three or four years and it drops off and then it goes back up. It kind of goes, it ebbs and flows. And that's because of the thing Quan was talking about. There are no feeders in a lot of these programs. So you're building kids. And so you may get a good group of kids for three or four years. They graduate. I got to start the whole process over again. And that's literally what I'm doing right now. So if my new principal who came in this year comes in and sees my band perform this year and says, oh, you're not a good band director. Is that is that accurate? Because I because they're not performing at the level of the program, the band I've had before this. That's not the case. I know that's not the case. I'm working harder now than I probably have worked since the first day I got there. So it just depends on a lot of factors. But I think all that stuff is included. All right. Quan, what dictates a successful program and or teacher? I think uh, Mario kind of honestly said everything, Gradua uh, graduating the students. Um, and for me, what I realize is I have a lot of students that honestly, I asked them first day of uh, school, how many of y'all want to go to college? You know, some of them raise their hand and some be like, yeah, this is it, Mr. Mitchell, like we good. And so I, I tell them, well, since you're in this band program, let me at least give you the opportunity to go to college if that's something that you want to do because you're a sophomore and your mind is already made up now i don't want to go to school but your senior year something may a light bulb may go off and says well i do want to go to college well take this talent and skill so that you can have that opportunity because your mama can't pay for it bro neither could mine so at least here's this opportunity uh also you want to have your students to have a fighting chance in whatever band program that they're uh entering in as an adequate musician 
Uh, and then lastly, for me, you should always be a, a band director that's willing to learn. Uh, I, I called Julian and asked him a question about the French one today. Now, yes, I'm a percussionist, but I, it would have been my ego to not ask him a question about an instrument that I, I'm I'm not stronger since. So it's, it's things like that. But all of those things that Mario alluded to makes you a, a successful teacher and program. Okay. Rick, what dictates a successful program and or teacher? I like to do both. If that's okay. So program. And I think Mario going to agree with me on this one. A successful band programs has multiple forms of band in the same program. So in addition to an excellent marching band, they have an excellent one ensemble or three. They have a jazz band that can actually read the literature and play it in the style that is supposed to be played instead of just do by the calling that jazz. Um, they have chamber ensemble. They have brass quintets. They have different forms of performance for their students. Successful band programs play on level. If you're at the middle school level, in eighth grade, your students should be playing at least grade three music going into grade four. Eighth, uh, ninth grade band is grade four to five. And going into uh, sophomore band on up, those kids should be playing grade six music. Um, these are the, I'm giving like stereotypical answers before I get to the, like the other stuff. Um, a successful program uh, has students that receive scholarships. They'll go and go to college if they choose to, or they want to join the military, they get those positions. But these students are getting, you know, on average year, you have a senior class of 30 people. You know, if you're getting like $500,000 scholarships, you know, you're doing the right thing. Uh, as a successful teacher, you recognize your peers as being, you know, great at your job, being able to make music. It's one thing to say you play Lincolnshire. It's another thing to go play Lincolnshire and actually make music. Um, so actually being a great musician on the podium, as well as being the father figure that Corman was talking about, being the mom, the dad, the band director, the janitor, the, the principal, everything in one place. Um, that's what a successful teacher is. Now, I say all that to say, in a perfect world, we would all have those type of programs. But in all actuality, the, the real answer is a great program slash teacher is a program that keeps kids on the streets uh, in certain situations provides opportunities that these students don't a lot of You know, being a band director at a show style school but exposing your kids to drum and bugle corps makes you a good band director. Because now open up their mind for um, what they already do, their marching arts, but they also now are exposed to something that they may have and may go to participate one day. Or being in a program where you know, your students are, are able to appreciate something even if they don't like it. You know, it's a lot of ways you can answer this question, but I think the most important thing is a good vendor program provides opportunities to students that they would have otherwise not had musically. And a good teacher is the person that acts as the resource to be able to do something. 
All right, cool, cool. All right, we're gonna wrap that one up. Uh, so I think you guys all great gave some great answers, but we got to move on. We got to wrap that one up. So if you're just tuning in, welcome everybody to Talk That Talk, where we have unfiltered, unscripted live conversations about band music education, HBCU band culture, and more. Please make sure that you smash that like button, uh, like, and subscribe to the channel for more content. All right, here we go. So next one, um, I don't know. I, I, this one might take a little while, um, but I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna go ahead and throw it out there. It's it's not even. Woo! All right, here we go. Why are black kids, especially in Texas, becoming less interested in band? Why are black kids, especially in Texas, becoming less interested in band? Quan raised his hand. He said, I, I got this ready to go, bit. So, <laughs> matter of fact, I'll do it this way. Whoever want to take it, go for it. Whoever unmutes first. I'll go first, man. Let me go first. I don't think it's black kids. I don't think it's just localized to Texas. I think that students have a lot more opportunity to do other things now that are career paths that they could want to pursue that are often in, in high school. I'll give you a prime example. When I was in school, the extent of doing computers was they just taught you how to type. So you sat at a computer, you had the book in front of you, and you could not look at your keyboard. That was computers back when I was. <laughs> now they have programming, they have app development. All these things are being offered at the high school level. That's number one. Number two, band is hard. Band requires you to sit for hours a day and put that instrument in your hands, on your face, put that flag in your hand and, and do it 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 until you get okay at it. And then you got to go to the next level. I'm, I'm, I'm decent. And then I'm good. And then I'm excellent. It's hard and it's time consuming. And this generation of, of kids, is not about that. They want that instant gratification. When I put my phone in my hand, I can find whatever I want that I agree with. And that's adults too. Oh, I agree that, that this didn't happen or this person's illegitimate. So I'm only going to listen to the people that agree with what I agree with. I think that's the, a human condition thing, especially in the United States, where we don't have to deal with some of the issues that other countries have to deal with, obviously watching the news. So that's number two. And number three, I don't think kids, like, if you're in a bad program in particular, who wants to be in a program that gets joked on by everybody? You know what I'm saying? Or, or man, you know, I got a, I think I got a football career, so I'm going to do this instead, even though I'm like third string left guard and you'll never see a field, right? Just complete. Right? So... I think there's so many aspects of life for these kids now that they can be involved in. And I think that that's going to take precedence over something that's difficult to do that takes years to get good. Bro, I'm I, I'm I'm sorry, bro. I'm I'm gonna have to slightly disagree. That's fine. 
because when I look at Alabama, when I look at Mississippi, they got they got chocolate people in their programs. When I look at when I look at our programs here in Texas, the 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 sprinkle of pepper is very thin. I disagree with that wholeheartedly, but go ahead. That's fine. Like I said, when I look at these programs, if we go look at Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi programs, you're not gonna see a whole bunch of 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 uh, and, and and this is no disrespect. You're not going to see a bunch of Hispanic people. Now, don't get me wrong. Texas is on the border right next to, to, to the area. So I get it. But at the same time, as educators, especially in Texas, I see more Hispanic population running to it than the African-American population who, like you said earlier, is the one who who's generally going to quit. It's too hard, blah, 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 blah. And and I'm just going to put it out there. If we look at the ratio of Hispanic population right now at PV. But that was a, a conscious decision. Like, I mean, just to be transparent, first of all, like I didn't say black kids. I said all kids. All kids quit something they, that they lose interest in after five minutes. It gets on my nerves. We had kids quitting during our band camp. It wasn't even difficult. You know, they find the one reason that they don't like something and they just like, I don't want to do it no more. PV in particular, Dr. Zachary made a decision. Okay, if I want to change the band, I need to change the places I go and the people that I'm trying to uh, recruit to get the, 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 what I want on the field. You know, I think that you're talking about, you know, one thing you're talking about, Julian, is just population in general. In the state of Texas, you know, Black folk, we aren't the leading minority in this country. Our population compared to black folks on football teams. Huh? But it's a lot of black folks on football teams in Texas. But what does that have to do with band? What I'm saying, what I'm saying is black folks are in Texas and black folks are participating in programs. They just not that we don't we don't if you look at if you look at I'll take my high school, Fuller Ridge, 280 people back when I marched. I can I can probably name maybe 10 Hispanic people who were in the band program. Now it's different. And that's no slight to what's going on at the program. Shout out to you know the directors there. But I'm saying if we look across the board, we can we can go, we can go uh what I say, Willow Ridge. Well, Forest Brook doesn't exist anymore, but Madison, you can go. I don't, you know, I don't know what your population is, uh Quan the Cho School. But I do know that when there is a high population of African-American kids in Texas programs, the numbers are low. When you start adding the Hispanic population in there, the numbers jump up. And there's a lot of black kids playing football. There's a lot of black kids playing basketball. They're available for those. They run to those. But what I'm saying is, why aren't they? Or why? what I'm asking is, why are they running away from band? Because I've watched in a lot of different areas where those those kids come in here, and like you said, now this part I agree with, they quit. They quit, and they quit by the droves. And, and Hispanic kids quit too. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is the percentage of kids who stay in the Hispanic population is a lot different from those in the African-American population. So that, 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 like I said, that's just, that's just my personal perspective. 
I could be massively wrong. But like I said, I know when I look at Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, the black population is a lot different. I mean, but isn't that – Mario, you jump in too. But like, doesn't that have to do with a lot of factors? Because if you want to look in front of the standpoint you just said, styles of music in different communities. You know, if I'm in Hispanic community, if I'm listening to Hispanic music, whether it's mediachi, whether it's music that my family listens to at home, I hear trumpets. I hear tubas in that music. You don't really hear much salsa. of that. Salsa. Right. right. Like, salsa, exactly. Like, that music – there is a there is a career path there. Like kids do what they feel is gonna make them money the fastest. Yes, football. Everybody thinks they're gonna be the next big football player, even though they stink. Everybody thinks they're gonna be the next producer. It's easy to sit down at a computer and push a space bar and add a note as opposed to putting your mouth on that mouthpiece and developing your armor should you get a good time. Like that's what that's the reason why I said that is that kids are gonna do. Like they, whether it's trying to get their family out of a situation, whether it's just wanting to be successful themselves, like the thing people used to hate that I used to say, but I agree with it a wholeheartedly. It's, I think Soldier Boy Tellerman is a genius. I do, and I think he's a genius because he's one of them young brothers that you're talking about in particular, but that was able to take something that he did semi well and turn it into something that changed his whole family's trajectory. And to me, that's genius. So I think that we we are products of what we listen to. I think that we are uh, we all have different aspirations, and I, and that's the reason why I feel that way. Dude. Go ahead, Mario. I, I have a I have a, a different little spin on it because of my area. Um, I, I'll I'll put it like this: I had a band camp two weeks ago, and the band camp that I had two weeks ago, I had eight kids there. All eight were black females. So, Bruh. I don't. I, I'm gonna tell you this. Um, I had this conversation. Now, this made this definitely is one of those talk those talk moments for real. But um, we do a lot of supporting, and, and, and I, I I know I'm gonna probably get some backlash on this. But there, we do a lot of supporting of of, of like publicly now in 2021. I'm not talking about historically. In 2021, there are things that promote black young women and black women in general tv shows um there's a lot of things that are about the support of pushing black women forward because of historically not being able to um you know not being equally you know that things being equitable however when it comes to young young black boys i find that they um a lot of the kids that i have experienced quit faster and um and they don't deal with like you know instruction as well sometimes somebody kind of telling them what to do unless it's basketball or football why because basketball and football is like Rick said it's a path to money it's a path to making your family's life better if you can become so there was people in the 60s like coming from Detroit that were soul singers and in the 70s you were doing funk and all this other stuff People got pissed when rap came out. They thought that was the easy way out. They weren't real musicians. People were complaining then. You know what I'm saying? And then we learned how to appreciate it later on, and it became an art form that we cultivate, that we now feel like all the, the old hip-hop heads are so connected to and all this other stuff. But when that first came out, not everybody was connected to that music. And then you get, like, as time is going on, there has to be something that people... 
uh, that pull people in. I feel like we need another big thing. The NFL and the NBA is an unstoppable force. Outside of COVID happening, even with COVID, they were still playing. So I'm saying, like, we need something that pushes us forward. One thing would be, like you were talking about, even we talk about adjudicated competitions or, or validating some of the things these kids are doing. A lot of them, I know in some of the inner city programs that are up north, they don't even perform that much. So these you'll get these kids in, and they need to see constant, like, uh, receive some validation of what they're doing to like for people to know that, that what they're doing has some type of uh, positive feedback and interaction. So there's a, that's a, it's a loaded situation. So if you're talking about like less interested, I don't think it's um less interested. I think it's less exposure on the lower levels. So if you're talking about kids at the younger levels, they were third grade was when I started playing the clarinet and I moved the saxophone. Then I, then I started playing the percussion and I started playing baritone. I started playing all this stuff. I did that starting in third grade. The seed was set. Now, when I get kids in the ninth grade, you're asking this kid that's at 14, 15 years old. None of us in this circle probably, I mean, even though we may have had a family member or something that played, you've asked us to take the same level of seriousness that we have now for music back in ninth grade, and you didn't start it before that? You had no music experience before that moment. That's very difficult. That's very difficult. And you're asking young black boys who already feel like they have, they're dealing with societal issues, seeing people who look like them getting killed, and you're asking them to pour into something they don't see a result from. So it, you, it has to be something that has, to, that has to, that to see something, see someone that is a figurehead for people to believe in it. And I think that's a part of why we are not progressing um, when it comes to inner city band programs and in general, or, you know, and I know that happens in other programs in the suburbs, but specifically inner city, because that's where I teach. All right. Quan, what's your thoughts? <laughs> so it's it's so much I've been been writing. Yeah, I was gonna write too, bro. I couldn't even yeah. actually remember it all. <laughs> Man, so so again. I gotta start bringing a notepad. Yeah, I, I, I got a uh index call. So many of your uh your points I we agree on, uh Mario. First of all, lack of exposure. So around my uh high school, there's about nine elementary schools. And those nine elementary schools, only two of them have music programs that are adequate. And what I mean by like, you know, recorder uh, ensembles and different things like that, uh, or uh, any of those, only two. I've already stated that the feeder pattern around me has only been established about two years, right? But also, we have to also take into consideration many of the kids, unfortunately, they just don't see the value in it. And that's just the bottom line. They just, they don't see, okay, I, I'm telling them all every day, hey, you know, uh, my testimony is uh, a guy named Kelvin Berry, who's the uh, percussion instructor at uh, Jackson State, handed me my first pair of six at 16. At 16, I joined the band, and then I was on and popping. And then I knew that this is something that I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Now, of course, that's a one in a million shot. But it uh, allowed me to to travel and see different things and uh, be exposed to, a, a, honestly, a new life coming from Louisiana. But also, uh, one thing that I run into when it comes to uh, African-American students, it'd be the parents. It's the parents. It's the parents that that, that come up to Mr. Mr. Mitchell. How long they got to practice? Oh no, nah, no, nah, he he got to come home and watch his uh watch his siblings. 
Like, nah, we 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 can't do that. So it's the parents on, on one aspect. Um, Julian, you did comment on Louisiana, Mississippi, uh, and Alabama. Now, when it comes to Louisiana, being that New Orleans is 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 the honestly the money maker for the state, that exposure of music is going to win all kids over. I mean, it's it's more you're more popular if you're in the band in Louisiana than when you play football. Because honestly, if you're an athlete, you're gonna know that you're an athlete by six or seven. If not, you're gonna play this horn because your brother didn't play the horn or your brother didn't play drums or your daddy, you know, he played for the second line band on the corner of Bourbon Street. It's different. I just think it's different for uh it's different geographic uh for the Joe's particular geographical areas and they get exposed to them earlier. Um, lastly, when it, that comment about the Hispanic population, I'll tell you this. One thing that I know about the Hispanic culture is this. If you teach their children and the parents see that you love their children, they'll give you the world. And that's the Absolutely. big difference. Absolutely that's, that's the big difference. Now, for here, even though we're predominantly uh, a black high school, I, I must say um, I have about 10 to 12 Hispanic students and whatever their parents will chastise them. You're not practicing enough. You need to support him. You need to do this. You need to do that. They're the first ones in the last ones out. Mr. Mitchell, do I need to go to the store and purchase this? Do you like it's just it's. If they, if you're feeding into their children, they'll give you the shirts off their back. The only way that, from what I've experienced, that a Hispanic student will quit is if I or a practice will inconvenience their family time and their family uh, holidays. Like, so for a quinceanera, you better not have practice because, Mr. Mitchell, you need to be there, too, to support that event. If it comes to a holiday or a 21st birthday party, whatever the case may be, you need to be there to support as well because they believe in family and they feel like the band is family. And once they get that buying factor, they're there. But unfortunately, like Rick's point, being in a band is not easy. You telling me I got to work out. Oh, right. I thought I just pushed the button and it came. Oh, Oh, I, 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 I mean, I know how to play drums, but I don't know how to hold the sticks right. You're telling me I got to learn 40, 40 different rhythms, 40 different rhythm, rudiments so that I can actually play the drum. I got to read it. I can't just feel it. When it comes to all of that, they be like, nah, I'm out. Because it's easy to, to try to shoot that ball in the gym and repetition than honestly play a horn. Yeah, I guess, I guess actually to Quan's point, I actually have a similar situation because most of the kids that I have in my school, and I, I had mentioned, um, I actually have to change my point. It wasn't all African-American girls. They were a mixture of Black American and African, actual Africans, you know, African-American. So the difference is um, my population in my school is very diverse. Um, I had never met people from Portugal and Brazil and Ecuador and Peru and stuff. I didn't. We didn't. I didn't go to school like Detroit is ninety seven. Like it was like the blackest city in America. So, and then went to college in Virginia. Like it's either black or white. A couple. You get a couple people from different places, maybe here and there. But the culture is very, very simplistic. You move up to the Northeast, your world is different. 
the world is different up there. So you, it's a very similar dynamic. What I get of that pushback that you were talking about, Julian, I get that all oftentimes from, um, from families of African families because they come here and they're like, my son or daughter needs to be a doctor or a lawyer or engineer. And, and this is not, this doesn't, this is not in line with that. So, um, however, when I do get one that I would say, look, I'm not trying to take your son or daughter from that track. I'm just trying to help them get extra money towards going towards the track that you want them to go in. And this could be a positive thing for them. And once I can get, which doesn't always happen, but if I can get them to understand that, then we, then it's money. Cause then they're going to force them to come. They ain't going to have a choice. They, you know how that call, like if you're Nigerian or, 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 or Ghanaian, like it's, it's, you don't, it ain't no choice. You're going to do whatever your mom or dad tells you. So, um, so I, I can understand that. Like, that's just a bit of a, a different dynamic, but similar concept for sure. So just listening to you all's uh, responses, um, we have to, and, I, and I'm just throwing this out here, we have to change the visual perception of band culture and, you know, what it can actually do for us except for, and, and you know, what it can do for us, you know, it, unlike just having the random teacher that's in the classroom saying, well, look what it did for me. But then they're probably looking at you like, oh, you a teacher, bro. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So maybe maybe we need to work towards changing the perception of the culture. What do you think? What? How do you do that? What, what do you what do you change? I mean, because well, I mean, I, about I, it. Yeah. I'm not it's saying that that I'm I'm hashing out a plan i'm saying yeah you know i'm asking you what, what's your idea what's your idea well how where would you start with that changing the perception of band because you got an age-old practice done the same like it's you there's no other way to get better with your tone than to practice your tone like you know what I mean like to practice long tones and practice ballads and stuff you, that's the way to do it there's no there's no fast way to get to it like so how do you change the 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 mindset towards that work that needs to be done to get to that point to make them be more bought into that. What do you think, Julian? I want to know. Uh, well, I mean, I, just thinking off the top of my head, uh, just spitballing some things here. I, I honestly believe that one of the ways that we can do that is bring back some of the visuals that we did have. Right. So, like, if y'all remember, BET used to show marching band and half times all the time. You know, uh, that was something that that was out there for kids to visually see, you know, um, and that just gave another perspective. You know, there are a lot of times when we're sitting inside classrooms and I know from my personal experience sitting inside a classroom. And when I ask a kid, have you ever seen a marching band before or have you ever seen band before? A lot of them are like, no, the biggest and, and a couple, well, not a couple of years ago, maybe about seven or eight years ago when uh, I was teaching some students their biggest connection to band was drumline, you know? So exposure, I think is, is a lot, um, has a lot to do with it. I think that we need to actually spend more time exposing our kids, but we also need to, um, also spend a lot of time talking about those people who are prominent, prominent out here or who has had great careers that are not in band. Um, I know a lot of times I bring up Vince Carter, and the fact that he was a drum major, you know, and those people who believe in basketball and who believe in the NBA and watch the NBA and know who Vince Carter is, you know, that they're, you know, they can look at it and they can be like, oh, that's dope. So, you know, I, I think, I think in a lot of ways, I think that we just need to 
give a, a, a different perspective um visually and then and then on top of that and and you know i keep going on and on i think a lot of there's a lot of parents out there who were in band um i can think about a a, a lot of my situations previously where i had parents who were in band but didn't you know even talk to their kids about being in band didn't talk to their kids about how it, it made them better or the connections that they had or just any of that. And so I think a lot of those things, a lot of those parents push their kids towards basketball and football. And so I think, I think that, that, you know, I think that matters too. So there, there could be a huge conversation about it. Uh, but I, I know that, you know, just probably reshaping how band is visually uh, viewed. I think it definitely matters. But, but, I, I guess my my only counterpoint, Julian. Uh, now, please remember that, that was stuff I was spitballing. But go ahead. No, you good. <laughs> but I but I guess you said uh, you know BT back in the day they showed the halftime show, but what they didn't show was the hundred hours that that band was practicing in that week. The work. And, yeah, <laughs> and my, my my thing is, how do you teach a child? that what you're playing that you know you may be practicing 12 hours a week for this one performance that in the end in four years is going to be worth it like to stay like that you're literally investing this time to secure the bag when honestly at this moment their mindset is say man i'm hungry now so if this bag don't come like i need to eat now i mean and especially when you're speaking about urban areas, man, they can't rent no instrument because that $50 a month could be gas money for my mama going to work or hot dogs and different things like that. So, I mean, it's it's I'm not going to say it's an uphill battle, but it's very Audrey's, bro. And of course, you know that. But that's when the building of the character means so much you know, as a band director for the student. I wouldn't know. And I know you're about to say something, Rick. I just want to jump in right quick. I wouldn't know right, how to go about this. All right, Mario. But I would, I really do all think. Right, uh, right, uh, Mario and then Rick, you go ahead and give your final thought and we'll close that out. Go ahead, Mario. Okay. Um, I would say I don't want to know how to do this, but we have a million romantic comedies. We have a million horror movies. We have a million um, sci-fi movies. We only have like one band movie. And I think sometimes having more in our having more movies that can so football movies are constant. Basketball movies come out all the time, telling some new story, some soppy story with a tiny violin. Oh, look at how he overcame obstacles. That happens all the time in our culture, but we don't have anybody telling our story. Sometimes parents seeing the dramatization of it in a movie helps sell our point. It could actually be a benefit to us. Now, what they did with Drumline, they just made an absolutely horrible sequel to the movie that talked about something that wasn't banned at all. It just went a whole other direction. And then it, it actually didn't help us at all. So we, right. <laughs> ah. Right. So I just don't know what, outside of what we talked about, because I mentioned that earlier, Julian, you were saying that we definitely need to have. Um, I, we need to have like a figure and something that people can see. And and I think you you need to have something that the more performances, more activity, colleges need to be more involved in their communities that they're around. 
Tell these colleges to go perform at these middle schools, perform at these elementary schools. Let the kids see them so that they can do this. And that will bring them at least around the university programs. It may not be everywhere, but if you can put, you can take, if, imagine Lincoln University. Lincoln is close to Philadelphia. If Lincoln had a good band, Lincoln could take that band and, you know, perform all around Philly. That is going to charge up the energy of those kids in Philly to play so in an area where they don't play. So you're saying Lincoln doesn't have a good band? No, I'm saying they don't have a good band. Yes, that's what I'm saying. They don't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm saying they don't. So I'm sorry. Sorry, uh, uh, I forgot what they name Orange Thunder or something like that. My bad. I don't know what it's called, but everybody who I love from Lincoln, I love y'all. Y'all know the truth. <laughs> All right, Rick. Your last one, man. Final thought, bro. I just think that we have to also examine one more thing, and I'm gonna be very brief with this. Band hasn't evolved. Band looks the same as it looked a hundred years ago. And these kids that we teach today are not us. I think Eric, Eric I saw Eric comment pop up there. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the truth. If, if, if As band directors, we have to stop being lazy. If you want people to participate, you're going to have to meet them where they are. They, don't, they aren't interested in the things we are interested in. And I think that at the end of the day, the more successful programs, yeah, they have a long lineage and tradition. Quan bought up like uh, music in Louisiana in general. Like he has got a trumpet in their hand when they're two years old. You know what I'm saying? I've seen Trombone Short is a prime example. Trombone Short has been playing since he was a little kid, man. Like, and he's been cold since he was like ten. You know, Rick, remember remember that trumpet player when we got when we went to uh, Mardi Gras? Yeah, that little dude on the, he was on the porch cranking at the buses, killing, killing. I'm sitting there like, man, you know that is a part of that culture. If you live in inner city Chicago, playing in a you know playing in the House of Praise is a part of your culture. And those House of Praise drum trombone players, I know this from experience. Mario probably laughed at this. Can't read a lick of music. <laughs> they, they, they can't read a lick of music <laughs> but we'll play circles around anybody yep. Yep. I mean like that video that viral video that went around that, that kid in high school I think he ended up going to Alcorn or somewhere like no he went to Benedict Benedict that kid is cold and you know what I'm saying like that type of like this bred into some people, but I think that if you want to be more mass appealing, you have to meet these students where they are. You have to play music that they want to play. You have to come up with teaching strategies instead of doing it how your your band director did it or whoever. You have to be creative. Yeah, is it going to uh, affect everybody? No, you're not going to be able to reach every student. But by being able to change your approach and not feeling sorry for yourself and saying, hey, man, I, you know, ain't nothing not doing reaching these kids. No. Okay, that didn't work, so I'm going here. That didn't work, I'm going here. That didn't work, I'm going here. Like being a person that can involve. So meet the students where they are. All right. All right. That 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 was – I knew that was going to take a little while, man. I knew that was a deep topic, man. But if you're just tuning in, everybody, welcome to Talk That Talk. Where we have unscripted, unfiltered, live conversations about band, music education, HBCU band culture, and more. So please make sure that you click the subscribe button while you're in here. And make sure you also smash that like button. Turn on notifications, man, because we try to keep updating 
as you know the week goes by and we're gonna always be adding something in here all right all right last one i'm gonna try to keep this one extra extra simple hopefully we can keep it simple you know uh hopefully but but we'll see how it goes this was this was i think is, is super simple are texas hbcus seen as the underdogs of swag bands are texas hbcus seen as the underdogs of swag bands. I saw Mario smile. So Mario, you got it first. Go ahead. You got it. You got it. I don't want to I want to let the Texas people jump in first. No, 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 because it's only two Texas. Well, one Texas person in here, because Quan from Louisiana, Rick from oh, okay. Virginia, and you from the D. So go well, ahead. You got it. Uh no, I think they're just looked at as as New Jersey has looked at to New York, Texas has looked at to like Really, not Louisiana, but Southern. It's like everybody in 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 Texas is like little, like not quite Southern. And because sometimes that feels like I don't know, as I'm not living down there. But it seems like that be that becomes a lot of people's like standard of what band is supposed to look like in the Texas Louisiana area. Like Southern becomes that standard. Um, I mean, long time ago, Gremlin had something to say about it, but that's you know, obviously that's 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 way before my time so um but if you look at if you look at prayer i think prayer view is 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 innovative they do a lot of stuff I, I feel like especially with zach's band i think he he tried to like push the envelope change the culture a little bit but um it always gets compared to jackson or southern at the end of the day i feel like no matter what the texas bands do they are seen as like little brothers to jackson and southern and that's sometimes we i think we put that that's kind of like Nobody will ever be Michael Jordan type of shit. Like I, I just feel like you get too, we kind of get too infatuated with one person. We start putting somebody on a pedestal, and then they, like their stats can never be approached. And I feel like that's ridiculous. I've listened to battles. Like, I think when PV battled Jackson, uh, Jackson State in the gym, I like PV. I, I like PV. So, I, but I'm saying like when you see stuff like that, some people are like they automatically go to the Jacksons and Southerns no matter what because that's what they know. Um, so I don't know how that changes really because now, especially now you get Brian Simmons at Texas Southern. I mean, oh my god, so it's like, no, no matter how good they do, it'll always be like, oh, they just trying to be like Southern. So it's like, I don't, and then the director bands at Purview with the Southern. So, like, I mean, it's, it's it's sometimes that's like the mentality of it. I, I'm sorry, but that's how it's looked at from the outside sometimes, from uh, you know, from us now in Texas and Louisiana folks. All right. Quan, since since he brought up Louisiana folks, are Texas HBCUs <laughs> seen as the underdogs of swag bands? Hell yeah, from Louisiana. Hell yeah, because you ain't southern. I mean, that's that's just what it is. Like, so I think you know, uh, Dr. Greg's did such a good job of establishing that legacy, and then. They graduated other Southern Knights to go teach at these schools to where now if you're not drilling eight to five. And I, and I think to a degree, like like we've stated, Southern is a consistent band. They're not going to do too much outside of Southern. We know there's going to be a, a, a nice drill. They're going to hit their lines and they're going to do them. I'm, you would never. I think last Sunday was the best dance routine I've seen Southern do period so but the bottom line is they good at what they do and so 
And also, I believe they're one of the most traveled, well-traveled bands as well. So when we speak about exposure, when it comes to HBCU marching bands, they're the ones who are seen. Uh, I think uh, due to the lack of exposure when um, when Prairie View was, you know, the, the earlier years of the marching storm, and especially when we had that sorry football losing streak, that didn't make it no better for Prairie View either. Uh, and then to the latter half of, uh, you know, of my tenure of marching, we, you know, we did the Rose Bowl and different things like that. And then as Dr. Zachary uh, took over the helm and then brought it to uh, another level, I think if you compare the two Texas schools, of course, I'm going to go with Prairie View. But I mean, outside Southern and Jackson State are the premier bands of HBCU. And also, you have to credit their media team. I don't see another media team like the Human Jukebox. I mean, under that tenure of Hamer, they were everywhere to where Southern University was playing Georgia, the football team, only because they were asking for the band. They 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 were performing with what it was a uh, Southern Miss, like they were going and 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 doing things on the strength of their media team. If you look at their media team, they go live and I have 100,000 views in a day. So, I mean, they, I mean, yeah. Outside looking in, bro, we, I mean, we are. Matter of fact, I'm going to tell you a funny part. My my family almost stopped talking to me because I decided to go to Prairie they was like, why are you going there? Well, like, they, they football team, sorry. Why are you going to Prairie View? I mean, I went to Prairie View because of the box, man. What's that? All right. Rick, a Texas fans or a Texas HBCU seen as the underdogs of the sweat. Well, you know I'm going to take this time to speak my mind all the things I couldn't say. I was on time on staff at Prairie View. I had to keep my mouth shut. Um, so no, bands are not looked at as the underdogs of the swag. All bands that aren't Southern or Jackson are looked at as underdogs of the swag. Um, I'm gonna put Jackson in the conversation because for years Jackson has been able to compete with Southern. Like Southern has never, you know, I mean, there's years where Jackson's better, there's years where Southern's better. Over the last couple of years, I like Jackson's timbre, the sound of their band better. But I think Southern has the power and the excitement. So I'll start there. Quan, you went to PV. You my man. I hope you like me after what I'm going to say. Prairie View became used to playing the whipping boy to those bands, man. When, sure, I, sure. when I first got to PV, you, Quan, you, <laughs> you would be shocked if you heard the amount of times I heard people say things like, man, Southern cranked up on us, dog. They got in our ass, dog. I can't believe this, bro. I mean, man, that joke was so sweet, bro. I'm sitting across the field jamming, man. This is PB people. Talk. That wasn't a box, though. We sit there, no, because obviously y'all are the best drumline in there between y'all and at some point UAPB used to be good. I don't know what happened with them. But, uh, yeah, exactly. Everybody, man, um, but they play anyway. Box, they, play, they play box cadences for a reason. Just. But... Like you had one of the first things we had to do, Quan, when we got there was get people to have the same pride in PV that they had. 
we had a member of the the drum line who used to wear a southern shirt to rehearsal. And I put his butt aside and I was like, have you lost your damn mind? That's true. That actually happened, Quan. We sitting there like, I, and I remember the conversation bit because me and Julian were looking at him like, bro, can you imagine walking into the Legion band room with a Hampton or North Carolina and t-shirt on? You couldn't even wear your high school shirt. Bro. <laughs> At one point, that's weak. That's bro, weak, bro. At one point, Dr. Sample told us we couldn't even wear Greek letters in the room unless it was KK side or tall beta sigma. He submitted Five Mu Alpha and he's in Five Mu Alpha. Yeah. <laughs> you could not wear nothing sure did. but KK side and TBS in the band room. Because I used to wear my Omega shirt, uh Ruth. I I I but um I used to wear my stuff <laughs> into the band room all the time. Oh man, three alpha mess. Um, and Doc, he shut it down, man. So that's the first thing, Quan. We had to instill pride in PV in PV students. Second, alumni. <clears throat> <clears throat> Our first homecoming at PV. I literally had to separate Julian from fighting one of your alumni from the disrespect that was happening around the band program. Were we great in, in 2012? Hell no. We had a long way to go. It was our first year. We had no, we barely had students in the band. We were just trying to figure it out. You know, it took us a while. By 2016, everybody was like, man, PV sound good, bro. You don't got to like them, but PV sound good. And it was trust in the process. We fought alumni more than we fought people from other bands. People that can't hold a stick to you on your own horn have the ability to give you an opinion about how you suck and all this. And then as soon as the game got good again, first thing out their mouth is, I never doubted you. Alumni. supposedly love the band. Man, get out of here, man. That's the second thing. The third thing is this idolization of Southern and Jackson starts at, at the high school level. It doesn't start in college. These kids, majority of these kids that go to these other SWAT schools wanted to go to Jackson or Southern first. And for whatever reason, whether they got more money to go to another school or they had parents that went to the school they went to, you know, or they scared. went to other school or scared, right, or scared to go because they don't think they can make it, whatever. They idolized that man all through high school and then they went to another SWAT band. I don't see how, and I'm going to just put this out there. Um, I don't see how woodwind players go to Southern or Jackson. I just don't hear it. Shots fired! <laughs> and my and one of my band directors, the lady that taught me, Mario, and Julian in jazz band, went to Jackson State, and she's one hell of a saxophone player. She's one of the best bassoon players in the country, and she went to Jackson. Like she was literally ranked among, amongst like the best bassoon players in the country. Nowadays, that was back in the 80s, like late 80s, early 90s, when you know their jazz band was still smoking. Now, if you play piccolo or clarinet, I don't know why the heck you would want to go there because they you can't hear it, the parts aren't interesting. It's usually doubling the trumpet part or chords, long notes. Like, I don't I don't get that. So I say all that to say underdogs, no. Because all these bands in the spot, not just Texas, want to be some facsimile of that of that of those two band programs. Now, P 
PV, on the other hand, now doesn't sound like anybody else into in the swag, except for now the fact that Bethune Cookman and fam are in the swag now. My fear is that we start to get like the separation. So with uh, Bethune fam, PV, UAPB to an extent will separate themselves. And that's like the part everybody, oh, they boring. They ain't out here blowing that hole, which is something insane that people used to say all the time. And then you got everybody else on this. Oh, uh, Alabama AM. Alabama AM. Uh, they play with a good sound as well. Like what uh, Mario and uh, my frat brother are doing, man, like they're doing good things. My thing is, I don't want them to do the smartest kid in the classroom thing. Oh, we're going to be better than you. We're going to play a song that nobody knows and nobody likes, but. It sounds it sounds hard, so we're gonna play it like this morning. Like that's how fam gets cranked on every year by Southern. Cause they go in there Southern and they're playing uh I hate you and all these songs and, and uh what's the joint we like? Uh what's it called? Yeah, we don't speed and and fam plays back Elsa's perception. I was like, Are you are you being serious? Are you being serious? Like so, don't play the smartest kid. But all these bands act as underdogs to the top dogs because they are. And the last thing I'll say is, people always say Southern is consistent. It's easy to be consistent when you've been doing the same damn thing for forty years. It is what it is, bro. I mean, I'm sorry. I know Ken. Ken, look, Ken go cuss me out probably next time he get on here. But Southern now. Yeah, they sound a little different than Southern bands of the past. But the band is not really doing that. They don't look that different from a band from the 70s, 80s, 90s to now. They just don't. And I've taught this in classes. You go, if you don't believe me, go back and look at videos. They're still doing the same format. Everybody does the, you know, the step two drill. They get in a concert block and let the dolls do their thing. And this is all HBCUs. They ain't just Southern. When are we gonna change the format and grow as a as a group? They like, man. I, oh, I'm gonna keep going, so I'm gonna stop. But it's easy to be consistent when you're doing the same thing over and over every year, and just a variation of that thing. So I'll get out of the way. Still love you, bro. Just... I feel you, bro. I understand, Rick. <laughs> so let me let me let me say this. Um, one, I think that Bethune and Fam coming into the swag is going to bring that difference that we once had pre Robert champion, uh, because it's going to give the swag audience uh, something completely different to look at. Um, I, I, and that's just my personal opinion, but, but aside from all that, getting back on the topic though, we just really just did say that about Texas Southern as though like, they just don't because well you did it was it was it was little but I'm just gonna say like we all brought up PV and I, and I'm guessing and I'm gonna say it's because Quan went to PV Rick you know uh, worked at PV but we also got to talk about Texas Southern right because when we talk about the underdogs of SWAC bands and I and, and you guys kind of hit it but. In the same token, we went back to the Southern aspect of everything. And it's like, can we say that Texas Southern is in that same category of trying to look like 
Southern? Not Hell look, but yeah. sound. Not look, but sound. They don't look like Southern. They look like cowboys, but they they sound. They actually they they they're trying to approach it the same way. But when you don't have arrangements or directors leading you in a way to actually contour that sound in a way, it's not. It's never going to make it. Being loud is not all that southern. So it's a. It's it's more to the music than that. So and that's the reason why it's it hasn't happened. But now that they have a whole band director that just came from southern, that's why I mentioned earlier, they are going to sound like southern to me. I I just I can't imagine it now. If if he would have gone, if Brian Simmons would have gone to a MEAC school or somewhere else. I can imagine it maybe being a little different because the culture is such a different change. But Texas Southern ain't no bands in the MIAC besides Norfolk. All right, go ahead. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, but no, so, I, you know, yeah, go ahead, Quan. No, so so in in regards to Texas Southern, I love Texas Southern honestly from the '80s. Yes. Like, like I forgot what year that was, but it, it seemed like they had like forty trombones, like. They just had a different timbre, like when when you first heard Texas Southern back in the day, man. Is like Texas Southern when you had a first, like when they first started, like you know, running torture and whatnot. That's a completely different band. But I think somewhere in there, they lost their identity. And honestly, a lot of the drum cadences that I played in high school were Texas Southern cadences. And then we started to realize that hey, a lot of the things y'all was doing was from people from New Orleans. So I think that's when the mixture of this sound and and of course I mean it's on it's documented that they went through you know the directors change and, and different things like that and what they went through, but they just lost their identity. And with social media, you want to be the thing that's popular. Southern is popular, so that's what happened. So it's like I don't I I, I sincerely I'm rooting for Brian Simmons, but me personally, if I was him. Like when God allows me to be a band director, I don't want my band to be like Prairie View. That that's already done. What's what? How you create your own legacy is to look at these blueprints and then create your own house. But to but to honestly just be like Southern, honestly, I, I feel like that's a waste of a platform and opportunity to me. Like just just overall period. If if Julian, you you get to a college and you say, "Well, I'm gonna duplicate Norfolk," well, shame on you because what did they teach you? They should teach you to take it and transition to the next level. That's all I'm saying. It's interesting that you say that too, Quan, because nobody's from Norfolk's band sounds like Norfolk. Exactly. No one, not one person from Norfolk's band, besides maybe like. Holland Springs when they were back in the day at 05, like, but that's a high school. But, but that's a high school. Yeah, like, yeah, high school. Nobody's college band sounds like Norfolk. That that's come from Norfolk. So I, I, I want to see. I, I was gonna close it out, but like y'all are all the saying the same thing, and it's really starting to make me think, right? Because like I'm looking at the number of Southern directors that are at different programs, and we keep saying these schools are sounding like Southern. But we got a lot of Southern directors at different programs. That's what I said at the other show. Let's think about it. Alcorn, Southern. Talladega, Southern. TSU, Southern. Southern, Southern. I mean, <laughs> I mean. You could say, you could throw PV No, but, but no. I, I, the I graduated I, from Norfolk State. I'm not. Thank you, that. sir. He did. He did. 
he graduated from Norfolk State, but that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the years he marched, the swag hours he put in was from where? Southern. Southern. Right. But 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 honestly, and everybody that knows Dr. Zachary, though, uh, he's Torrance. just a different he's a, he's a different at, thinker. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to cut you off. Uh, mm -hmm. Torrance said the same thing. Who at Langston went to Southern? Because Mark Gordon went to PV. So I'm I'm curious, Torrance. All right, but, go but, ahead. Paul Collins. But, Collins, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Carl Collins went there. there. He was only there for for one year. He's not there anymore. Oh, I thought he was still there. No, yeah, he's not there anymore. But I don't think I don't I don't think yeah I don't I don't think Langston sound like Southern though. I think I think yeah, personally yeah. Langston I, I think Langston is honestly uh still uh tweaking their their overall sound, but I don't I don't think they sound like Southern. I don't think any band sounds like Southern. I think a lot of bands sound like facsimiles of Southern. Oh, so because they only they only equate loud with Southern. Yes, Southern. Right, plays, that's they, what I was saying. Right, that's exactly. Southern right. plays with a bombastic sound. They do. I like Southern sound a lot of times. Sometimes it doesn't sound good. I mean, I, this is a real show. We are unfiltered here. Sometimes they don't sound good. And I know their fans are, it's very difficult for you to actually form those words out of your mouth. But sometimes they have issues just like every other band. But most of the time, they're fine. You know, like, especially if they're hitting them rap daddies, they're going to give you them rap daddies full strength because at the end of the day, that's all you got to do is just blow them. But then it is, it is. they will get up there and they'll play like that Daft Punk piece. I always go back to that. That battle we Beyond, had. beyond. Yeah, beyond that's that that joint is jamming, man, and and yeah. they were, and and they were playing all the rounds, and the whole that, band was playing. All that welcome to the jungle, right? Like they like yeah. that to me is what Southern is. Southern is a band that can can wear many different hats. If I'm playing PV, I know I'm gonna pull my more technical stuff out. When it's time to play Jackson, all right, it's it's mono and mono. We gonna we gonna meet wherever we need to meet. Like Julia and I, when we went to uh, Julian and I were at that game with the, the famous uh, Holy Grail battle. Mm -hmm. Julian and I were there, and we st we were standing right in front of Jackson because Dr. Sample was there. We went to go see Doc, and they and Southern cranked that Holy Grail up, and to this day, that's one of the loudest things I've ever heard. Like, they were bringing it. Me and Julian looked at each other like they were like, <laughs> <laughs> And then Jackson hit there. Yeah. And then Jackson hit there, and we were like, me. <laughs> yeah, like, straight, straight. But yeah, so I think that people do what they think Southern does. And I, I think that the most successful band in the SWAT right now, in my opinion, is Jackson. Because I think Jackson is trying to uh, equal male of. Of trying to change their timbre. If you don't believe me, go listen to that circle of life. That circle of life they put out a couple of years ago was impressive mm -hmm. to me. 2018. Yeah, that was impressive. And then mm -hmm. the other one is PV. I think that PV has found out who they're gonna be in the SWAT, and I think they're comfortable doing that. Those are the two bands that I I am interested in seeing where they go, especially this year now that bands back. Because I, you know, I know. This battle this weekend, like you said, doing much success to that brother Brian Simmons. I want to see black people succeed. And right. That brother is able to 
really change that band because I'm not going to sit up here and act like I'm a huge Texas Southern fan because I'm not from Houston. Um, but what I'll say, I want that brother to succeed. But I, I just wish some of these bands would just be more comfortable being themselves and, and finding their identity like Quan said. So well, I have to. I have the one quick thing I want to add. It's because I'm a baritone player. I have to mention this. Um, I had talked to you know Ken. You know Ken and I started baritone on the same day, man. So when we left and went, left Norfolk and went to Southern, you know we used to chop it up all the time about his experience there, some of the things he was going through, or whatever, and how it was for him. And uh, one of the things we talking about as far as the music, there's this misconception, and I, and I think this is important to note because I made a point about this about the, the national band, um, battle of bands, whatever. Baritones are saving bands right now. A lot of baritone sections are just, they're saving bands. It's, and what I mean by that, and it's not always in a good way. Like, so some people are having, um, so like you hear Southern, you'll know they have a, they don't, they don't show you whatever their strongest section is, like oh, over in abundance, like, like Texas Southern. Everybody knows if you listen to Texas Southern, you will hear them euphoniums over everything. They are louder than everything in the band by a lot. So, when they crank up, they're all taking the thirds and fifths of the harmonies and it's not playing roots. And then what that does is it, it just changes the whole balance of the sound and it, and, it, and it messes things up. So when I was talking to Ken about it, it's like a lot of times people think Southern baritones are playing high all the time, but they're playing in the meat of the horn. And it's, it's when you do that, you're really adding more thickness to the sound. So when you hear that full sound, you're hearing meat of the horn, people putting the body of the horn to work. And I, as a baritone player, I've been talking about this for years. When I was at Norfolk, I used to always talk about play in the meat of the horn where the baritone was meant to be played. I was always talked about that. And a lot of baritone sections now are just doing this. I got to play the third. I got to play the fifth. I got to play the root upper octave. It's like, bro, like you're killing it. Like, and then they're playing euphoniums because before everybody was playing baritones. Now you got euphoniums sticking out like sore thumbs and changing the balance of bands. And so they're not playing lyrical. They're just jamming on one note or like whatever line they have and changing the balance of bands. And so that's what you hear when you were talking about, Rick, about people trying to um, interpret what they think Southern is doing or whatever, you know what I mean? The swag style, so to speak. Because you saw that in some MIAC bands, people trying to trying to do the same style, trying to emulate that. And it's it's not it's not going to help your band. For a while, As a band director, that's not going to help your band. That just sounds trash. For a while, Norfolk was doing that. Like, right. I'm so glad right. that Sanders got in front of that ensemble because right. for a while, Norfolk's baritone players was trying to do that same stuff. Like, right. I'm going to go out. I shoot. I get all woodwinds matter. It would be nice to hear woodwind timbre in bands again, you know, mm -hmm. but that's one thing. But, you know, that's a whole nother conversation, man. I know we got to wrap, but yeah, be yourselves, man. Stop trying to be other people. Exactly. But you, ha you, you have yeah, to. Yeah, I, I am. You, what, but what you I also have. But you also have to, like I say, you have to be humble and be willing to ask other people different things to honestly figure yourself out. Because when I study bands, I've studied Southern Jackson, FAMU. But I've studied um, Southern Jackson, FAMU. I've studied Paul Adams scores all the way to. Um, uh, the sergeant scores all the way to uh, Dr. William P. Foster uh, scores. I mean, but you got to be a student of the game. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I think um, I think we probably going to have this conversation and we'll bring this up at another show. And maybe more or less when King gets back, especially talking about the number of, of Southern directors that are out there. 
uh, and the Southern perspective, uh, because I think that I think that's a, a worthy conversation to have, uh, especially with with some with some people who are from Southern. So all the all the all the Southern people out there, we, we might have not a full show, but maybe a topic directed especially towards you. So uh, make sure that you you come in and, and, and check it out. Uh, man, I, I think that we had a really good show today. Um, I, I I said it. It was going to go a little bit long. We made it all the way to two hours. <laughs> two hours of conversation. I'm tired, Doc. Bro. <laughs> but I, think, I, think, I think we got some good information out, man. We had a lot of people in and out. Um, so before we go, uh, I want to ask, uh, that anybody have any final thoughts for the culture, Mario? No, man. I just uh, I'm excited about this season. Uh, this HB that that uh, that that little band's got me excited about the season. I'm actually very excited to hear Texas Southern, as we were mentioning earlier. I'm I'm looking forward to them. I mean, he he does those arrangements are great. So I'm just looking forward to band season, man. I'm, and I'm excited to see people back playing in person. COVID really did a number on some man. So I'm just excited to see that. So. Let's let's get the band season going, man. Let's do it. All right. Uh Quan. Um, you know, I wish everybody, you know, uh, you know, blessings and for this year, you know, be safe. Uh for that college level, uh college or band level period, high school as well. Um, but my final thoughts and words of encouragement goes to that that student, that music education student that's about to graduate. Uh, be willing to build, man. And just because you're a great arranger does not mean you're a great teacher. And that's a whole different conversation in itself. But be willing to build and invest in these kids and into these communities, man. Other than that, that's it. All right. Rick. Uh, I like Mario. I'm looking forward to the Labor Day Classic this weekend with PV and uh, Texas Southern. I want to see what that brother's able to do. I don't know Brian Simmons. Uh, I've never met him, but I respect what he does. I think that, you know, he's going to he's gonna bring something to Texas Southern that I think will be fresh for them. I think people know who he is, including the students. So I'm anxious to see what he's able to do. But I'm also anxious to see PV, man. PV, they got that big old band again. They coming. Um, and I've, I've talked to the staff, and, you know, they're really excited about what they have. So – you know, I'm anxious to see what talk that talk next week is going to look like. Maybe we can look at some bands and, and critique what we saw and give some winners or not. Uh, so that's number one. And as I always end with support black, black businesses, black schools, black organizations, support our people. You want your band to be better? Put money into that band. You want to see more of the conversations, participate and talk that talk, get and get your yourself out there. So. Uh, let's just, you know, do better for our communities uh, and let's just support Black. Keep supporting your HBCUs. Keep supporting your, your programs. As Rick said, keep supporting Black. Um, next week, you got to be ready. We got another great show coming for you on next week at 7 o'clock. Uh, I want to make sure that everybody, everybody stay tuned. Make sure you like and subscribe to Talk That Talk. Make sure that you turn on those notifications because we're always, always, always going to be uploading as much as we possibly can. Uh, with that being said, we are going to go ahead and sign out. Thank you for tuning in to Talk That Talk. Find us on social media outlets and YouTube at Real Talk That Talk. Talk That Talk is a brand of the Passion Is Network. You can contact Passion Is at passionis1919 at gmail.com. If you would like to contact the panel of Talk That Talk, 
email us at realtalkthattalk at gmail.com.